0: The following episode is from the Bloody Blunts archive, as a part of November's potluck of past releases. This episode was recorded June 2021 for Pride Month, but here on the podcast, we appreciate queer horror any month. So enjoy the episode. Hark! BBCC episode 53, my realization of the day. In case you haven't gathered, This podcast is very fascinated with subgenre, so if we're not talking about a lesbian werewolf fantasy musical, is it really Pride Month? More into that in the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back. This is the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. It is your boy Devon Taylor, aka Underscore Daddy Disco, and this is a podcast where we chat our favorite horror films, but then we break it down by subgenre every month. There's a different theme, and we are uh, talking queer horror all month long. And I'm very excited to um, spotlight the the film that we're talking about today. And of course, I do have a guest waiting in the wings. He is a screenwriter and just a very talented creator. You've probably heard him across numerous other podcast episodes as well. So I'm excited to have Mr. Michael Verratti onto the show. Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. Yes, thank you. Uh, Thank you for coming on and being a part of this. And this is going to be a interesting conversation that uh, we're talking today. We're talking Good Manners is a uh, Brazilian horror slash fantasy um, with uh, very strong queer elements in there. And, you know, typically on a lot of like, you know, podcasts or things like that, you would get guests that kind of coordinate onto those things. So it's like, this will be fun, um, coming at this film from the experience of, you know, two queer men taking a look at this very, um, you know, queer female centric, uh, story. Um, because I think that's, you know, it's great to always like have conversations and watch things about, you know, the things that you connect with, but then also like, you know, I watch movies to also like, you know, get the perspective and like stories of things that I don't understand. So I think that's where this will be a really fun conversation.
1: Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to it. I really, uh, I enjoyed this movie a great deal. Uh, I hadn't seen it prior to this. Uh, and I was sort of taken with the fact that it's both a horror movie, but kind of a fable as well, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool.
0: Yeah. We will definitely get into, um, you know, the, um, the aesthetic elements and you know subgenre details of good manners, but before that, we want to get to know Michael a little bit more. Um, so tell me, you know, when did horror kind of become a passion for you, and then how how important is um, the horror genre as far as being a queer creator yourself?
1: Uh, yeah. So I. Early on, I was kind of afraid of horror movies when I was a kid, and I didn't want to deal with anything scary. And so um, when I was little, like if the music would even get too intense, I would run over and turn off the TV. Mm -hmm. And um, I just did everything I could to avoid this material. Um, And what's interesting is a lot of horror creators that I've talked to over the years actually sort of had similar paths. And I think uh, if you're a fraidy cat like I was, you either just kind of avoid it for the rest of your life or you start obsessing about it. Like you think about it so much that you kind of can't help but look at it a little bit. And um, there was a show in the late 80s and early 90s called USA Up All Night. And uh, they used to do double features of horror films and cult films and like exploitation cinema. And uh, I stayed up one night, watch a double of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Return of the Killer Tomatoes after much begging to my parents. Um, And I I do recognize, of course, those are horror comedies and not uh, horror films outright, but they sort of were my gateway because once I realized that these were not like the movies that they were playing at the multiplex or the movies that my friends were talking about at school... Mm -hmm. I became aware that there was this whole other world of of film out there. And I started obsessing about that idea and I was drawn to this forbidden uh, quality, I guess. And I suppose that also ties in with the queerness, right? Like Because there is an outsider nature to a lot of these films and who understands the otherness or the outsider status better than queer folk uh, or at least queer folk are among those who do. And um, as I grew up, uh and into the genre I really started seeking out movies that kind of spoke to that into that otherness Mm -hmm. and it it started crossing over with my work and uh uh, a lot of folks know that I host the queer horror panel at San Diego Comic-Con International of the intersection of queer identity and horror and it's something that uh I have always been very interested in and what's really kind of cool about this genre is it continues to reaffirm that horror and queer identity quite often walk hand in hand
0: yeah. And, you know, I think it's something about like, you know, like how you said, like, you know, you were big time scaredy cat, but still attracted to the idea of these films. And like um, and it's like once you like kind of hit that, like cross over that threshold of realizing, like, you know, that you can have fun within that fear, you know, that's when, you know, I feel like horror movies, like kind of when when it really like sparks your interest And as far as you're saying, you know. Um, you know who relates better you know to the otherworldly the forbidden the you know just the other from an outside nature you know than um the queer community and I think that's you know because like not only that like can we relate to it but then like in certain aspects you know within horror films like you can kind of like take the power back, you know, in that as well. Like, you know, in this idea of like, you know, certain people consider us monsters, well, let's be monsters. And like, we can kind of reclaim that as well, you know, as far as like, you know, the outsider's perspective. So I I do love that for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we've seen so much work that's sort of a response to that. I think that if you look at something like Clive Barker's Nightbreed, it's all about that otherness reclaiming itself and saying okay exactly what you just said if you want us to be monsters we are monsters but within that monstrosity we'll make our own community where we don't need you and you know and and we will re-establish our own norms and i i, I love that power that the ability that horror has to to take it back if that makes sense
0: oh 100 percent like yeah like again it's like just like taking you know fear as this like powerful force and like kind of turning the tides of it, you know, rather feeling it against you, but then also being able to, like, again, like, kind of take that power back and, you know, express it outwards through these very specific stories. Um, So, yeah, before we... um, get into the main event we do just have one film to talk about today usually it's two or three or something like that but um we are focusing in on one so i did want to give you uh let you give a shout out to either something that um we didn't choose to talk about or something you watched recently uh, that you wanted to give a shout out to
1: um, well, I know at one point when we had talked, we had uh, briefly discussed uh, maybe doing a little bit of a conversation about the uh, Belgian horror movie Daughters of Darkness, which uh, goes quite in on uh, lesbian vampire tropes, which, of course, there's sort of a proud, long tradition of lesbian vampires across uh, horror. Um, and that, that one is sort of one of the pole pinnacle movies. And uh, I, I am quite fond of it. And it is interesting, though, that, that that subgenre in terms of queer horror was one of sort of the first to catch on. Uh, and I, I say interesting sort of facetiously because I think even though it is queer representation, it is also queer representation that was quite frequently curated by straight men. And of course, you know, there's sort of actual lesbian content and lesbian through the lens of, of heteronormativity or hetero exploration. So uh, I think that there's a whole, you know, conversation to be had about those movies. I happen to like them. I love them. Uh, I think that the the queer lesbian vampire movies of like Jean Roland and, and Daughters of Darkness are all really great. And what I love about kind of the pivot when you suggested Good Manners is, you know, Lesbian vampires are discussed so frequently, but we so rarely get a lesbian werewolf movie. So I thought this was really cool.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny because uh, one of your other choices was uh, The Hunger, which will be covered in the next episode. Uh, Raina uh, beat you to it. But, you know, I almost like I had thought about doing just strictly queer vampire movies for the entire month. Because there is so many, you know, that you could go into, into even that specific subgenre. Um, but yeah, so I did want to spread it around a little bit. So yeah, the, not too many um lesbian werewolves. But yeah, there, there's something about, you know, vampires in general that, you know, speaks, you know, I don't know what it is. it is. I mean, I guess it's because it's a creature that, like, their origins have always been based in this, like you know sexuality and like how they use their sexuality to seduce people and like kind of like where the basis of their powers come from so it's like I don't know uh what it is but it's just like it's a a trope that like you know continues to be able to tell stories about like definitely back in the 70s and 80s we really loved lesbian vampires
1: well, and I think, you know, a lot of times when this conversation comes up and I've seen, you know, uh, lots of cool merch that say, you know, vampire, all vampires are queer. I have a, I have a magnet on my fridge that says that. Uh, and a lot of our, our kind of colleagues in the genre talk about this. And one thing that I think is sort of important about the discussion is that vampires are beyond humanity. You know, maybe they were once human, but what vampires are are, are no longer. They kind of transcend humanity. So why would they uh, prescribe to the trappings of human sexuality? You know, and I I love this concept that, of course, all vampires are queer because you cannot define a vampire by the gender or sexuality norms
0: of humans because they're not human. And that is cool to me. That is really cool. I didn't really think about it in that aspect because, I mean, just in the idea of like, yeah, like, it's basically like, you know, when you're, like, trying to, like, gender an alien or something, I suppose, you know, it's like, the, the concept is completely different, you know, between these species, but yeah, so that that, that is a very interesting concept, I love that, I love it, um, I unfortunately don't have any other, uh, I haven't really been watching as many movies as I'd like, and most of the movies I have been watching are towards the podcast, Um, however, on the, on the subject of, you know, queer vampires and previewing something for the podcast down the road, I will be doing the Twilight franchise at some point, (laughs) maybe for February. Maybe that'll be like my February thing because Uh, there's like, I want to explore this. You can't
1: go wrong with a franchise. I, you know,
0: even if that franchise uh, is, is its own sort of niche, you know, it's like, I want to you know look at those movies in like kind of the context of like <laughs> you know what you're talking about and like how they like made vampires like almost anti-sexy yet people are still in love with them there's an interesting paradox within those movies um that would like kind of fit into you know some of the, your theories on um you know queer readings on vampires so um that's that's my thoughts that i'll leave everybody off with for Something to look forward to into the future. But I think it is time to go ahead and get into our spotlight film of the episode. Good Manners, released in 2017, written and directed by Juliana Rojas and Marco Dutra. Um, This is a Brazilian film. It is in Portuguese. Um, The film, um, you know, Mike already kind of pointed out how it feels like a fable of sorts. Um, they did kind of take inspiration from like the early years uh, Disney animated films, um, such as like Sleeping Beauty, as far as like the colors and some of the um, audible cues and like the music. Um, but yeah, this movie has a little bit of everything in it. We have werewolves, we have some um, musical numbers, you know, saying there's no dancing in this, but it is a musical of sorts. But it does feel like um, it just like this, you know, this fairy tale. And it's, um, it's a it's a hefty film, you know, two minutes, uh, two hours and ten minutes, um, and it's kind of like two films, you know, it's uh, split between two halves. The first half kind of being a uh, lesbian romance between a pregnant woman and her live-in nurse, and then the second half of the movie is something completely different. So this is your um, chance now to pause the episode and go watch Good Manners if you haven't seen it because we are going to talk spoilers and things like that. I highly encourage you to go watch it for yourself before you listen to the rest of the episode. But going on, um, uh, yeah, this was a movie. um, I had it on my list of just like movies in general to watch at some point. Um, I think like Matt Donato shouted it out on Twitter one day. But uh, Mike, you said this was on your uh, short list of films um, and you hadn't seen it yet either. So what made you want to dive into it?
1: Well, you know, I had heard great things about it when it came off the festival circuit. But I'm sure, as you know, as a matter of course, so many films come out and you hear about so many of them that sometimes things just kind of slip by you or you miss it. And then you always intend to go back. But then as you are trying to circle back to the movies you missed. There's like 15, 20 new movies come out that you need to see. And next thing you know, several years have passed. But it was always a movie I wanted to see because I do my best to try and keep up on all of the movies that are denoted as queer horror since it's a uh, a subject and area of interest of mine. Uh, and I also love international cinema. And I, I like to see classic monsters kind of interpreted in new ways. And I of course love a werewolf. I love a vampire as we were just talking about. And so this was a lot of boxes, you know, it's a queer horror film that has a new uh, take on a classic monster. I'm quite fond of a lot of the queer cinema that does come out of Brazil. So I was curious about that and see how it kind of fit into that Malu And yeah, but I just had missed it. So when you had mentioned it, I was like, yeah, this is the time. This is the time to see it.
0: Yeah, it was. Um, it came out a few years ago, but it was like something I hadn't heard of. And, you know, and there's, again, yeah, plenty of vampire movies, but there's not enough werewolf movies out there just in general, uh, let alone queer werewolf movies. So I remember as soon as I'd heard about it, I was like, why hasn't this been on my list all along? Um, and yeah and as far as like what's great about this one and like you know the presentation of it you know kind of feeling like this like fairy tale there's you know sometimes the colors are very exaggerated sometimes the actors uh, will be framed you know against like matte paintings which isn't necessary for this film. But it's a it's a like purposeful choice. So it's like between that and then like I have this thing like I feel like whenever I watch foreign language films, I kind of immerse myself a little bit more because I'm like, you know, paying attention to everything else a little bit more since I don't have the English language to like help me, you know. So it's like just in that nature, I was like immediately in the first, you know, 10 minutes of this movie, like pulled into this world.
1: Yeah, and it starts so beautifully, too. You brought up this sort of Disney movie comparison, how it opens with those kind of painted title cards. And uh, then when it cuts to the real world, you're already sort of sold on the fantasy. I think they did a very good job of pulling us in.
0: Yeah, the, and the the way that they frame uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil, is just like it felt like it had this just like kind of magical energy to it. Like it looked like a, a normal city but just the way that it, that they framed it and the way that they lit it. I mean, we have bisexual lighting all across the board in this movie, of course, you know, the great pinks and purples and blues and the, and the greens and teals, like just the colors in general, just like, oh, so good. Uh, definitely like sells you in on like, like from the beginning and like the opening credits itself. It's like, it feel the whole movie feels like you're reading a book.
1: Yeah, and I really like what you said about uh, the framing of Sao Paulo because uh, the the framing device and the, the sort of intimation that there's a fable quality to this goes into the landscape itself. I think the whole thing, in a lot of ways, is a fairy tale because uh, you know we know that Anna is living in this tower. She's in, in when we meet her. She's high up above, and then later when the boys travel into the city, and you see that big shot of. Sort of the two different halves of the city, where one would kind of be the kingdom and one would be where the people live. Mm-hmm. That we, if it was a Disney movie, we would uh, say, like, okay, that's the castle and that's the village, or blah, 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 blah. So it sells this fairytale image. But of course, beneath that also is sort of a commentary on class, which I really appreciated as well.
0: Yeah. Like, especially like, you know, the like distinct looks um, between Clara's apartment and Anna's apartment. And, but in a way that they do it's like that, you know, Anna is, you know, supposed to be the more affluent one, but her place, like, kind of lacks energy. It's, like, a little bit more sterile, and then it's, like, even though Clara is, like, you know, not as much money and she's struggling a little bit, like, her place feels more warm, so it's, like an interesting play on that too, you know, and showing the dichotomy between the two classes.
1: Totally. And when Clara comes into Anna's place, and of course, you know, it's it's set up that this is her job is to prepare the place for the baby, but... You know, when we see Clara painting and everything, it is her presence that brings vibrancy to Anna's place, which, of course, Mm -hmm. can be read for a few different ways. This is the vitality of the people who live in the city, but this is also the vibrancy that is going to grow for their their sort of relationship with each other. I think that a lot of the choices in this movie are so subtle, but so smart. And I, I really dig that.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, I really like, yeah, about Clara bringing the vitality into Anna's life. And even in that still, like in the first half, you like see Clara's demeanor, like even she never like cracks a full smile. But then the second half she does. So it's like the little details between the production, but then also these uh, lead performances that we have that, you know, really that really like power this film. Um, So kind of setting up this interesting relationship here between, um, again, like Anna is pregnant and preparing to raise this baby on her own. So she, you know, needs help preparing the house and being taken care of. And uh, Clara has a background as a nurse and um, gets the job to take care of her. She's kind of down on her luck as, um, you know, struggling to pay rent and things like that. And it, it makes this relationship feel like, very organic, because it's, like, the between them, like, yes, there is, like, love and sexual energy and sexual tension and, you know, sex scenes, but at the same time, their relationship doesn't feel like a, like, they're not portraying this as, like, oh, these two connect and then they instantly fall in love. It's more of this, like, connection between them of, like, just supporting one another that I really, that really interests me between them.
1: Yeah. They sort of grow into each other. And I think that there's even um, a disconnect when they first arrive. Like I, you know, the, the whole sequence after Clara moves into Anna's apartment uh, and there's that uh, moment where Anna is dancing to the music on her birthday and tells the story about how she was disowned by her family because she got pregnant. And, uh, how she kind of tries to foist the beer onto Clara and you're like, that felt uncomfortable. And for a while I was like, Oh, are they going to have this sort of strange disconnect? But it's this movie handled this idea of how their disconnect and their displacement in their worlds have brought them together and forged that bond even more. And I think it was really smart because they could have easily started with attraction or started with some sort of, will Uh, they won't they romantic inclination yeah yeah but they didn't they just they let it grow into it
0: yeah it 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 definitely felt very very natural and like it you know didn't come off as like you know they easily could have kind of came off with the idea of like anna being like you know more predatory especially like with the subject matter like of you know seeing that she's like kind of part werewolf herself in a way just through the pregnancy but they didn't go that route either there's many different routes they go went, and i love that the way that again like it it felt it was warm and it was supportive but it also like wasn't just like oh these are just like two passionate lovers and then this is what's going to happen then they're going to raise this baby together and then it's like oh no we're not going to get that part either so it's like right um the the way the relationship unfolds is just it's really beautiful though
1: One thing that really struck me, especially about the first half of the movie, and I started kind of clocking it, and it does change a little bit in the second half when we meet Mauricio's dad, but this movie goes to sort of great lengths to make sure that uh, there are no men, which I quite enjoyed, actually. Um, Because even uh, when there are men introduced into the story of the doctor, you really never see him. You only hear his voice. Uh, And when we get the story of the man who uh, impregnated Anna, who of course we infer is the werewolf that, you know, came in that stole into her life. uh, We never actually see that person. We we see him only in animation. So this Mm -hmm. movie is really not about anybody, but these women in, in a lot of ways in, in, I dig that. I think that it was very uh it was a very concentrated effort to 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 pull all of those elements away and and zero in on on this small little group of people.
0: Yeah, and it and it kind of it helps dial in like, you know, this idea in the story, you know, it's like when you when you think about, you know, being a mother, that's already something that men like can't fathom, you know. So it's a very Singular female experience, and so, like, you know, in focusing on you know, Anna in this you know, predicament that she's in, and then you know, having Clara come into her life, it's like this, you know, kind of almost dials in the idea of you know, this is something that men can't fathom, and like the best person to like help would be another woman, you know, so like, yeah, like, kind of the way you mentioned is like. The, the first half of this is strictly no men whatsoever.
1: What's interesting about what you're saying, too, is then if you apply that logic to the second half of the movie or that that thread, um, even then, the one man that we meet, he kind of isn't equipped for, for the world that they live in because... When uh, Joel and uh, Mauricio go into the city and you know technically go missing and Clara is, is looking for them. When she goes to Mauricio's father, he can't really be bothered. He's just like, Oh, this just happens, boys disappear. Whereas Clara, of course, Clara has more information, but it's it just kind of shows in the world of this movie the men never really bear any response characters, the women uh, have to kind of shoulder that weight.
0: Yeah, especially like, you know, what you just said about, you know, like, yeah, not having to bear the responsibility, obviously, in Joelle's um, birth father. But then, yeah, like anybody else as well. And then like, so that's like what makes even the second half, you know, kind of hit really hard. So in in the second half of the film, um, Anna dies whenever she gives birth to Joelle. It's a violent, bloody affair. Wasn't sure if we were going to get yes. it because the, the movie, I guess this is like the Brazilian rating, says PG. So I really wasn't expecting, <laughs> one, a full-on sex scene. I also wasn't really expecting a baby ripping out of her stomach. Loved it. Totally here for it. I mean, that if you're going to have a werewolf birth scene, that's, a, that's the way it's got to be. But I was totally bummed out because, I mean, there was a part of me that did want to see in the second half Anna and Clara trying to deal with this werewolf baby together you know of course there was a part of me that wanted that but it also like then reinforces the idea of how hard this is for Clara because now she's a single mother also a non-biological mother to this uh to her son but then also her son's a werewolf so it's like these you know compounding (laughs) things on something that's already such a like hard task being a mother in general
1: yeah and I think for a queer aspect of this story that I really like. You know, in in the queer community, we often talk about the idea of chosen family Mm -hmm. and what that means. You know, when when the people in the world that we come from does not uh, embrace us, we we, we create our own families and we create our own communities. And um, this movie, through that lens of the fantastic that horror always so strongly is able to do, exemplifies it. It's not only Anna and Clara coming together in the first half, but it's, as you said, like Clara is not joelle's biological mother she kind of wandered into this circumstance she could have ran and there's a moment where you see that she thinks about it but she kind of like almost like if you want to project a little bit it's like she's looking at this baby and it's like this baby is an outsider in a lot of ways like me Mm -hmm. raises the kid and i i think that i
0: i really think there's a, a, a great read of chosen family to be applied to this too oh 100 like obviously with you know queer couples when there's not a way of, you know, there's obviously many different ways to go about, you know, starting a family, having kids, uh, whether it be adoption or, you know, a uh, surrogate situation or anything like that. This is like kind of taking that situation, like you said, of like, okay, this is a very fantastical circumstance. And, you know, that's where like the fantasy elements come in of like this, like fantastical way of how, you know, she was able to have a son. Um, so yeah the, the idea of chosen family is so strong there and then also you know just this idea of how strong a like you know maternal bond of like protecting their son you know loving the son like at no matter what cost like there's no researcher you know research scene on like is my son a werewolf or like anything like that she never goes <laughs> to ask like an older person about like any Brazilian werewolf curse none of that she doesn't really question it she just like is like okay this is what's happening and like i'm going to deal with it because this is my son now you know so it's like just that you know uh what's the word i'm looking for on Un- unconditional love that yeah that
1: <laughs> yeah you know what's interesting is you mentioned how she never really researches it in a way that i think is kind of fascinating and i think is very uh applicable to the the fable fairy tale aspect of this movie is though you know werewolves seem anomalous in this world when one is introduced everybody seems kind of just like okay to accept the idea in in the way that no one has to be convinced that werewolves exist when she discovers that anna's you know sleepwalking only on the full moon i think that's all the more you know click that needs to go on in Clara's mind but then later when the boy is revealed to be a werewolf to their landlady slash friend she's just like oh your son's a werewolf we need to call a priest and it's she t- like accepts it very well in the way that it's it, you know she doesn't accept it but I'm fascinated by this idea that it is sort of treated like queerness is treated by uh close-minded people they they recognize it exists but they're trying to push it out rather than understand it's like yeah she
0: yeah doesn't quickly like it's very her reaction is very pretty mellow yeah compared to like as if there's almost like a werewolf kid protocol or something it was just like okay we do need to call the priest but like it is what it is but like again like yeah like you said like you know that's usually also the response from closed-minded families when they're like child comes out or something or when people try to do that for other people's kids even as well like okay well let's uh go ahead and get him some jesus and he'll be all good in the morning um but you know the using that into the the werewolf angle um i really love and you know and i feel like um werewolves are also used a lot as well in um, you know, in terms of like adolescence and like growing, you know, as we've kind of seen also like th- not a not a werewolf movie, but the way that they choose uh, use like meat and stuff would be like some comparison to Raw in a way in the way that they yeah. kind of use these like, um, you know, the trying to understand and control primal urges as you grow older. Um, Is like something that I see like werewolf movies use quite a bit, but I also got shades of raw in there.
1: Yeah. I could totally see that. I think that, um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot at play here. And, uh, I, I liked what you said about the protocol for a werewolf as if in this world, you just pray the wolf away, you know, that's their, that's their plan, which of course, you know, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of interested in, um, in, in that breakdown
0: yeah it is very fascinating um it, because it's a again like you know when you treat this world as like just like a slight fairy tale version of a real world you know they possibly treat it casually but then it's like it's kind of the way that they treat you know the queerness elements uh, within the film as well like you know there's um I love when there's films that have queer elements but there's never conflict involving those elements you know it's like we just have a couple of scenes of like where Clara's at a bar and um a woman hits on her and they like have a flurry conversation and then there's these interactions between Clara and Anna which are just like treated very naturally and again like that has nothing to do with any of the conflict within the film i love that like the the casualness of it In this story.
1: Yeah, same. I I appreciated that very much. I I think that you really um, hit the nail on the head. There's no grand coming out moment in this. A lot of films made uh, stateside when they deal with matters of queerness feel like we have to have. And I think in a sort of post-queer wave way, you know, of course we need coming out movies. Of course we need adolescent queer films that deal with those subjects. But I think that as audience, we also are allowed to have movies where the actual content of the movie isn't about the people being queer. It's more just about people who are queer and are involved in this other thing. And I think this movie handles that beautifully.
0: Yes. And especially with like Anna's character who, you know, she was engaged. Um, she had a, you know, male fiance and then, you know, obviously got impregnated by a man. But then when she has this attraction to Clara again, it's, not something that is like, you know, outward questioned or anything, but it's also like, you know, playing into these, the, the primal animalistic themes of the film as well. Like they don't seem like, I mean, they have like a very strong connection. Maybe there is a love, but they didn't seem like they were like in love. So it's like almost like, is it, they have just like kind of reading just like what your body you know, wants and needs. And, like, especially in Anna's case of being pregnant, it's, like, there's nothing, they don't go, you know, try to explore that a whole bunch or, like, Anna having this, like, internal, you know, debate or anything. It's just, and the way that they treat it, and especially, like, in the, like, very first scene where it's, like, she's, like, having her sleepwalking moments and then she, like, sniffing Clara, like, so, like, animalistically but very sensually as well. It's a it's a very hot scene.
1: It really is, and you know I'm very proud of how this movie handled it from that point, though, because I think they could have very easily had her uh, sort of engage in this sexual malistic moment with Clara while she's in wolf mode, and then ignored it later. But I, I really liked that her attraction to Clara was part of her actual self, not just mm-hmm. her wolf stuff. So when they came together later as uh as lovers, that was never in yes. question. You know, it, it's it's the wolf's kind of other activities that were in question.
0: Yes, yes. I love that because yeah, it wasn't until like a, a month or so later when they like actually come together and like make love. It like you said, that wasn't from the werewolfisms, that was, you know, her actual genuineness towards Clara. Ah, uh, so great. So it's like again, that's why it was so it, it really exactly. got me when Anna died, I was like, I did want to see them. Maybe they could have been the lesbian parents for just like a, a few weeks and then she dies. Maybe uh, it, it hurt. It did. And I
1: think that uh, it, you know, it's a horror movie and horror movies. I think we as audience members have learned not to grow too attached to people. But the, the reality is, is you do. And Clara came, comes back into the room and her body is is kind of that ruptured
0: shell it's mm-hmm. like
1: oh my god that, that i mean that really that hit
0: yeah it was it was gnarly and that's a another note on this movie is a shout out to the this uh special effects the they they use a mixture of practical and cgi effects for um whenever joelle later goes into like full werewolf mode they go cgi but like when they do do the practical effects like with the makeup on the arms but then like yeah, Anna's death image is just, like, it's gnarly. Didn't think they were going to do it, but, you know, at the same time, like, it's needed for one, for them to have, like, you know, the conflict between Clara and Joel, you know, towards the end, and, like, and I would say, like, that's the stuff later, like, very last, like, third of this does feel a little bit tropier than the rest of the film, but the way that they took their time building into all this before we even get into like more werewolfy stuff was really great. Like the, the this movie is paced incredibly well.
1: I agree. And you know uh what I do think is interesting, especially when we get to the more tropey werewolf portions that you mentioned uh, and we see Joel as a wolf. I, I can't think of any other werewolf movie ever that we've ever that like doesn't have like a full wolf. Well, I, I kind of appreciate that this is a movie sort of about a werewolf puppy, you know, it, it, you know, and that, that sounds funny to say, but it's true. He's still a little, he's still deadly and scary, but he's still a wolf kind of coming into his own. And this movie is really all about growing into yourself in very different ways. So the fact that they even cho- chose to hold the wolf back from being like the full beast monster that we kind of see in the animated flashback is cool i think it's all about growing into yourself and whatever that means even if it means you're you know uh a a meat snacky happy, happy werewolf
0: yeah oh no totally like you know because i mean i guess one he is only like technically like half a werewolf so he like maybe he won't ever go towards that full form but i do like how yeah like it's every form of him we still get like you know, a form where there's a piece of humanity there and it's a little bit different. Also, we don't get, you know, very many uh, adolescent werewolves. Um, lesbian werewolf and an adolescent werewolf. I appreciate that yeah. quite a bit. Um, I, I do enjoy the, um, still like the middle portion where it is like Clara, you know, taking care of Joel, and like just showing like, you know, the like extra, you know, that she just has to put in. That she, you know, does with a like huge smile on her face, you know, um, because she's finally like happy, no matter like all these like extra things that she has to go through. I really love that, and um, you know, just the uh, uh, all these like little mommy moments. Um, I really appreciate those throughout the film.
1: Yeah, I and you brought up the point earlier. She nary cracks a smile during the first half of the movie, and so then to have that. Uh, completely kind of flipped script in the second half when she's a mom. And, you know, most of her scenes in the latter half of the movie, she's kind of glowing and smiley. And, uh, you know, despite all of these these great uh, burdens, I guess, you know, although I don't think she views them as a burden. And I think that that's exactly the lens we need to look at it. Like, you know, the concessions and uh, things that we make for love she has made and she's very happy to because she wants to protect this kid and i really think this actress did such an amazing job on both halves of this movie because she portrayed a full range of the human
0: oh yeah like she was you know doing like because i remember in the first half of it like she did such a good job of like playing this like you know she's very held to herself you know and like she like looks like she's holding something in and like whether that be just, like, you know, whatever is causing her, like, lack of happiness, like, she's just, like, holding something in, and then, like, and then the second half, she's, like, so much more expressive, like, even, you know, her voice is more expressive, and, like, the way that she interacts with people, and she interacts with, like, more people, like, in the first half of the movie, you only see her interact with two people, like, in total, you know, so it's, like, yeah, she, she is playing two separate roles, uh, shout out to Isabel Zua. Not sure how I'm doing on pronunciation through this episode, but I think we're doing pretty good. These these ones aren't too bad, these names. <laughs>
1: yeah, she was really remarkable. I mean, I liked this whole cast, to be honest. Uh, I really thought the little boy, uh, Miguel Lobo, who played Joel, was Awesome. I mean, kid oh. actors can be tricky, right? His expression, his reaction, he even has that kind of just like doe-eyed innocence of, of a kid down pat, even though you know that like he's a werewolf and I think that's amazing.
0: This kid playing Joel, oh my goodness, yes. I, I put in my notes like this kid is like, there's a difference between when you have a kid in a movie and then you have like a kid actor. Like this kid was acting in this movie. Oh man. Like his his eyes, the 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 looks he gave, and like whenever he's you know getting more aggressive, you know throughout the second half of the film, this kid is really good. Um, I hope he's a star one day. Like, ah, uh, he was so good. He really was,
1: and he portrayed an arc so well.
0: Yeah, like again, like he, it's like when you when you bring in a kid actor, it's like you know you can, a lot of the times you you you'll bring him in to kind of do one thing and be like, here, here's the one thing, you know, and, like, just be a kid at doing it, but, like, you know, they, they were able to give this kid, like, quite a bit to do in this film, and, like you said, like write him a full-on arc of, you know, obviously, like, when he gets curious, finds the picture of his real mother, and starts asking questions, and, you know, he has his, you know, little rebellious stage, when he, like, goes on his little adventure to go find his um, his real father and, um, and I like that that you know kind of served as a little mini fairy tale adventure within this like grand fairy tale that we're watching you know of these two going into town on their own they have to duck under the um, things to get onto the train and like it was like a little mini adventure within the film I, I appreciate that
1: yeah, complete with his friend Mauricio, even had his little cardboard sword the whole time. They were like little adventurers on a quest. Of course, it didn't end well for Mauricio, but for that brief shining moment, they, uh, they, they really tried.
0: So, oh man, poor little Mauricio. Like Mauricio and their friend Amanda, also little great. Uh... Great little kid actors. Like they, they, they even had a few scenes where they like went to go question the mom and then like didn't believe her and they were like exchanging glances. I was like, oh shit! I was like, they're acting too. Like, ah, uh, yeah, these kids were great all across the board. But um, poor little uh, Mauricio, um, you know, which is like tough because there's not many deaths in this film, and I mean they never found his body, but I mean I think we can assume that um uh joel ate his friend and that's really sad you know uh, again like you know because yeah. once joel like has that moment he like kind of starts realizing it and like that's where he does have to have that moment of maturity of like damn like yeah i am like you know really different but at the same time he's still wanted to be normal so bad but that was that was tough
1: Well, I think you raise a good point. There aren't a lot of deaths in this movie. And I think that, you know, sometimes in the genre, we're sort of conditioned that... uh especially when you're watching a slasher film, the body count kind of pushes you towards the end and you're almost desensitized. There's really only two deaths in this movie, but each one has like a significant amount of impact. And Mm -hmm. that really speaks to uh, the power of this story because, you know, when Anna dies, uh, that changes the whole trajectory of Clara's life and it makes her mom essentially. And then Mauricio, this was like kind of the only boon companion that Joel had as a sheltered kid and try as he may be to fit in, um, Mauricio unfortunately became the uh the fodder for him to realize that he is always going to be on the outside you know
0: yeah and it's like and keeping like you know that count low too really got me at the scene where you know uh Joel transforms at the at the party and then he's like about to attack Amanda and then get shot and then I was like oh, don't tell me they killed Joel too. But, like, you know, luckily we see that it was um, just um, she shot him in the leg, you know, just to get him out of there. Um, and then it's, like, in, we do have this scene that feels somewhat tropey, but at the same time, the way that they did it in the style of this film, of, like, the scene where she has to get him back to the house, like, and sneak him away in a wheelbarrow, and then, like, as they're in the house and she's chaining him up, we have the mob, you know, the, this neighborhood mobbed up really quick and, um, you know, we're coming after them and instantly knew that it was Joel too. Um, you know, not going to question it, but you know, a somewhat tropey scene that we do see in monster movies quite often, but within the style and aesthetic of the film, I like the way that they did it, but then it does like hit for the ending, which just like, uh, a shot in the heart like geez louise
1: yeah it really is a powerful moment and you're right they mobbed up really fast you kind of went like oh they've done this before to some, some other poor werewolf uh but i i really think the final moments where the mob is outside and and they're in the little bedroom and uh you know they're they're just kind of looking at each other turned together to face what's coming i mean that's it that's a chosen family moment you know despite their differences you know, we're, we're in this together, you and me. And I, I think that final shot right before the credits is such a powerful moment. And, uh, it, it really, uh, it was such a good one to go out on.
0: Yeah. Like, and again, big ups to the actress here having to like do this, like emotional work. And I'm assuming, you know, mainly against like green screen stuff. So big ups to her for the, for the acting in the scene. But yeah, but like, you know, Joelle is you know still angry at her and like, you know, doesn't want to leave, um, doesn't have to escape away, and like he's, you know, still wants all these answers. And he's, he's so angry, but at the same time, you know, knows that his mother's gonna do whatever she, you know, she's gonna protect him, and she knows what she needs to do. And just like yeah, this fact of you know the mob, you know, banging at the door, and then them just ready to face it down together, um, grabbing in each other's hands and then just, like, cutting away, like, that's what made me, like, cry, because I was, like, I don't know what's gonna happen, and I, like, just started crying, like, right after the uh, scene ended, so, so, so good, Um, because, again, like, I, I love these movies that are a little bit longer, and, like, allow the story to breathe, and, like, kind of just, like, go on this uh, little journey, and, like, the way that plays out, like, you're reading a book, um, just makes it, like, such a Easy movie to like get invested into and to get invested into the story because it was just beautiful.
1: It really was. And I think that uh, it's a powerful film and it's a good allegorical horror movie. I mean, we've seen some good allegorical werewolf movies in the past. I think Ginger Snaps, of course, comes to mind, one of the best werewolf movies of all time. And while Ginger Snaps kind of explores adolescence and and, uh, coming of age as a woman via the werewolf lens, this i think really explores the concept of chosen family among other things and i uh i don't know maybe werewolves in in terms of genre are one of our best uh allegorical teachers
0: yeah and 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 specifically you know um seeing in ginger snaps in here you know that like they are prime for these coming of age stories as well you know coming of age for joelle but even more of a coming of ages as, as a mother for clara um, across, yeah. this, across this across story, you know, super, super, super good. Didn't even mention um, we got some musical numbers in here and I really like the way that they used them because like they would use the real songs like, you know, playing on the TV or on the radio, but then also people would be singing songs and they would kind of be like Clara's like internal, like thoughts and feelings for what was going on the situation, which I thought was really cool since she wasn't, you know, especially in the first half, like not very expressive. So I like how they use the music to like uh, interject her emotions.
1: Yeah. I thought that was really great. Uh, at first, they didn't really know what to, to make of the music numbers. I of course always appreciate a musical moment, but I uh, within the context of, of the film was uncertain, but then kind of applying the knowledge that it is in many ways presented as a fairy tale. uh, I think it really works because the first sort of like actual musical, musical moment we get is when Clara's leaving the baby and the uh, home woman on the steps begins singing. And it it kind of, if you're not expecting it, which of course I wasn't, it was like a little jarring. I was like, Oh, I guess we're doing this. But then as the song progressed, I was like, Oh, I'm glad we're doing this. So,
0: Yeah, i really, uh, the way that they came in, it was a little bit jarring, but then at the same time, like, like I said, like there was like that one song that would come up and it was like a real song, but it was like, basically it was like saying, you know, Clara and Anna's like internal thoughts, like wasn't supposed to fall in love. It was supposed to just be fun. Like, um, that song. And then like, you know, it comes up again later, whenever Clara's, like, laying in bed thinking about her, so it's, like, they even use, like, you know, the, um, the real music to be, like, on the nose with it as well, so it's, like, um, I really like the, the dual uses of it, but then, yeah, like, especially, um, the, the one that we get at the end where Clara actually sings, uh, finally, and then, like, that, like, you know, made the, the, the emotions of that scene, you know, heightened even more of, like, you know, once she, you was just scared for Joelle, like knew what could potentially happen, but like, you know, wanted him safe above all else. And then we finally like get her like actually expressing herself through the music after the music's been doing it for her, like the rest of the movie. So interesting usage. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But um, lots of, lots of really great stuff throughout this movie. Um, We didn't really spend too much time talking about the actual birth scene. Um, When we see a bloody, baby werewolf crawling across the ground i was like stop it um the the look (laughs) on this thing and like the sounds the sounds of a baby werewolf like was just like that's that's etched into my brain now uh really that's like the most like this scene is like the most like horror scene that we have in the film the rest of the movie not really too horrific besides it's obviously a monster movie but this is like the the height of its horror though
1: No, you're right. And I I get exactly what you're saying, because, uh, you know, there's that sequence where the baby, the werewolf baby is crawling across the floor and the umbilical cords kind of wrapped around its neck. And just that death rattle, it was, it was very, I remember thinking, I was like, wow, this is very disconcerting. And uh, that's uh, whoever props to the sound designer, because they made, (laughs) they made sure that you knew that you're not supposed to be comfortable with this.
0: Yeah, it was, yeah, very, just like, very much got under my skin and it's like that's funny like how like you know just like this one thing can get under my skin so much more than like you know anything else i'm watching that's like horrific all the way through like just this was enough to you know give give it the horror dose that it needed but um yeah really really gnarly scene um yeah great special effects all around you know the cgi full wolf effect you get used to it like the f- the first time you see it, it's a little jarring, but after that, you're also just like, well, this is a werewolf, and this is like kind of fairy tale esque, so it's like not gonna look, you know, exactly what you would think a normal one would look like, so like it didn't bother me too much
1: no i mean when she takes the werewolf back to her apartment on the other side of the bridge and she's holding has the baby laying down there was like a moment where i was like i guess it's kind of cute like i i don't know like i'm not mad at it for
0: for a split second yes like for a split second baby werewolf was like i was like okay it's a little cute it's a little cute I i would i would i would rub its nose um and you mentioned it earlier, like you know, again, like how they kind of treat it more like a like a dog, like a puppy, you know, and like in like some of the moments that like you know between like the like snarling and stuff, you know, they like country like a baby puppy, and then like him at this like toddler dog stage later as well. Um, also shout out to this movie for again like wasn't super terrifying imagery. But the idea and the way it played into movie of like, you know, her needing to breastfeed this baby. But, you know, she hasn't been prepping up for it. So she's basically was letting oh, the yeah. baby wolf breastfeed blood from her. And I was like, whoa, that's uh, that's some that's some hard mom shit right there. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, when, when that happened, I, you know, it's kind of one of those moments where the second she starts preparing to breastfeed the baby, you kind of know what's coming. Like, you know, cause what else could be coming. And yet when he bites her boob and starts sucking the blood out of it, there's that moment where you're like, Oh my God, they did it. And that's
0: very alarming. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, yeah. Like, you know, it's coming. Uh, but at the same time, like just like also for like what it means, like in the context of it, of like, you know, like that's just like, you know, the instant moment of like, yep, nope, I'm gonna give everything for this little baby baby wolf boy. And um, <laughs> you know that's that's her life now. like that's that's the moment she made the decision in her head when she's thinking,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think that when you
0: breastfeed blood to a baby werewolf, there's no going back. There's no going back. That is that, that he is yours now. He is yours. There's no going back from that. Um, but yeah, so great film. If uh, you guys came to the end of this conversation and you still haven't actually watched the movie, you should go do that. There's so much more in this movie that, um, you know, didn't get to touch on. It's a very dense movie. So again, if you haven't seen this movie, go check it out. If you have a Canopy account, it's for free on there right now. Otherwise, you'll have to like uh, buy it or rent it somewhere else. Um, so as we wrap up the episode, what I've been kind of asking all the guests is what makes the horror genre such a wonderful vehicle for these queer stories?
1: Well, I mean, going back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, horror has an ability to address otherness in a way that no other genre does. And, and you know, I think that beyond that, it's that power in in that ability to delve into other that I think makes horror very appealing to queer people because horror when done right can, can really make significant statements and you can use that dark lens of the fantastic to tackle issues that otherwise the mainstream may not want to face head on. And in that way, horror has always addressed queer issues going back to even before cinema into the gothic literature you know and i i think that because of that intertwining from the very beginning the roots are very firmly placed and so when we watch a, a horror movie as queer people and see a little bit of ourselves it's because it's in the dna and i think that uh that's great you know because we need a space that is ours. And like earlier you had mentioned uh, the reclaiming of the monster. And I think that, that is kind of a really great read. And we've, we've had a lot of looks at those throughout the the years, you know, how a lot of uh, monsters are kind of classified as misunderstood and they are othered by community, whether it's Frankenstein's monster or the creature from the black lagoon. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about horror is other doesn't have to be the monster either. You know, when you watch Halloween, uh, Lori Strode is other you know here, here she is with the popular girls who are sexual and and free and liberated and she wants to be like them but throughout the whole movie you can see that she's not and that yearning to kind of be part of the crowd but being outside of the circle is sort of what defines her and then when the night comes and uh, she's put to the test it's the things that make her different or what make her strong Laurie Strode is other and a survivor. And I think that that's a queer story. And I, I love that about our genre, you know?
0: Oh, 100%. Like, it can be used in a way of, like, you know, again, like when you tell these stories that only a certain person can, like, specifically have, you know, like in this situation of, like, you know, using the chosen family and, you know, Clara being a mother in this, you know, inexplicable situation, um, you know? is already a very specific like tapped in issue that can only be told through a certain person that experiences it but then adding on a horror element to it which is like the the reflection of like how that person or how we feel for that person in that situation um ends up being so it's like you can you can really uh take that you know like you said like um, being othered in any circumstance, you know? So, like, in this film, you know, Clara being othered as far as, like, in a realm of, you know, traditional motherhood is the way that this film attacked it. So, yeah, definitely um, 100%, like, on point. I agree with everything that you're saying. and And I love it. I am excited to, you know, continue digging even deeper to that, because these films are progressively getting more queer as they go throughout the uh, episodes so you guys will uh definitely hear more of that on uh, the next two episodes coming up uh but mike thank you so much for coming on i very much appreciate having you uh, and having this conversation today
1: oh well, thank you for having me i thought it was uh great fun to get to talk to you i really love this movie And uh, I think that it's got a lot of important themes. And I really thank you for hosting this series of discussions on your show, because I think that's awesome.
0: Yes, I'm uh, super excited to, uh, you know, continue, uh, you know, digging into these themes and uh, having conversations, you know, that, you know, are very frequent to, um, you know, like you said, like, it's always kind of been inherently in the horror genre already. So it's like, But to be able to um, try to pull a little extra spotlight on these uh, conversation topics is exciting. So appreciated um, having you on to help talk about some of these topics. And uh, what are you working on right now? Where can people find you?
1: Uh, Well, right now, I uh, actually am about to return to the world of podcasts. I had been doing my show Dead for Filth for a long time, and then uh, we wrapped it 100 episodes and I kind of d- dug back into my work as a screenwriter and director uh, a lot of people know that i worked i was a writer and director on the boule brothers dragula and i will be returning for their fourth season um but i was actually yes. talked into uh slash i'm excited to be returning to the world of podcasts i'm joining my dear ghoul friend peaches christ we are going to do a limited podcast series called midnight mass where every episode we dig into uh, a piece of cult cinema or a cult icon from the world of film, and uh, kind of explore uh, the worship and community around those movies. So I'm very excited about that. As well as far as film stuff goes, I do have a new short film out this year called What's Left Inside. That is uh, the opening night film at the Soho Horror Film Festival, their Pride Edition. And I'm working on a feature, which I can't really talk about other than to tease that every so often. So keep your eyes open for that. As far as where to find me, it's just my name on Twitter at Michael Varati, Same on Instagram. Uh, you can always track me down, yell at me or say whatever you want. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yes, I will definitely uh, make sure that people can find all those things. Um, excited for, uh, anything that you're working on. I love that you're, you're dabbling in all the little corners and, uh, always excited for anything that you're working on. Um, so what do we have coming up next episode? We are talking, um, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, we're talking some queer vampire movies. Um, so get excited for that. Make sure you guys are subscribed and if you're listening on Apple podcasts, you know it'd be cool if you went on there and rated five stars and you know write wrote something nice that'd be that'd be real chill of you um i would appreciate it But that is going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Join us next week as we talk The Hunger and Fright Night 1985. Make sure you are following the podcast page at Bloody Blunt CC and following me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore daddy disco. And until next time, guys, stay lifted.